Good morning. Uh, Brian Skanderbeg with GFG Resources, and I'm here to speak to Crux today. And uh, ultimately, GFG is a district scale explorer, two main asset bases, one in Timmins, one down on Rattlesnake Hills. Um, we're about a 25 million market cap company, and I think 2022 is going to be a really exciting year. So happy to have the opportunity today to introduce GFG. Good. Uh, thanks, Brian. And, and good to see you. I saw you 18 months ago, September uh, 2020, if, you're, if you can remember that far back. Um, had a good session. I, I came away quite excited. Um, but it might be worth, for people who haven't heard the story before, just going over some of the things we, we, we covered then. Uh, maybe start with yourself. What's, what's the background experience and maybe some of that blue shit uh, team that you've uh, brought aboard with you? Yeah, look, my background's uh, mineral exploration, mining. I've been in business for about 20 years. I'm a geologist uh, by trade, um, studied in South Africa and in Canada here as well. Worked through a few different companies, Gold Corp and Inco, and eventually ended up here in Saskatchewan. Um, great place to do business and, and find gold. And um, with, uh, with that placement, I worked for a company called Claude and Claude had been around a long time. Uh, our team was good enough and lucky enough to find a fantastic ore body called Santoy Gap. Uh, we put that into production, um, managed to bring ourselves from a very tough position with Claude into something that was a material free cash flow generator and, uh, transacted, uh, did a great deal with SSR mining. Um, companies continued to do well. The assets outperformed even what they paid for it. And uh, our team migrated from Claude into GFG at the time. And uh, we wanted to be district scale explorers. We set up this platform and uh, we built a portfolio of exploration assets. I guess inherently, I'm a curious geologist. Uh, I'm an operator, I'm an explorationist. I uh, love the gold mining business and uh, you know, I have a great team beside us uh, in terms of our Claude team, but also our, our, also our board of directors. Um, Patty Downey, Brian Booth, Arnold Glass, and Lisa Riley. These are all veterans in the mining industry that have been successful in many different platforms. So I like to think GFG is a, uh, a junior explorer with a mid-tier board. And I certainly put our team and an executive on a very high position. Yeah, I mean, super impressive. Uh, I know a lot of the names on there. I've spoken to them. I've had them on the show. Um, one thing that's not so impressive, share price. You're 29 cents when we last met, 20 cents today. You have 35 million market cap, 30 million today. Uh, what's gone wrong? Yeah, it's it's a fair question, Matt. And you know, if I think of ourselves on a you know a two year, as as you said, eighteen months, or even I think longer, four or five year plan, um, share price volatility is something in the space, and we all go through cycles. Um, there's events and drivers for a business. Now, if we wind ourselves eighteen months, we were uh, drilling a target in Timmins, and we had a partner in the U.S. Uh, Newcrest, and things were going reasonably well. Um, hence, our share price moved up to twenty five and thirty five. I think we even touched forty five cents for a couple of weeks. Um, those things rolled off, the drivers weren't there, we couldn't chase our continuity of the high grade and Newcrest walked away. And we looked at ourselves at a company and we're like, okay, well, lots of times you have to pivot, you have to relook at your business and your strategy and say, where are we going now? And so we looked at ourselves after that window and we've said, okay, well, we need to find a partner for Rattlesnake and we need to look at what we're doing in terms of strategy at Timmins. And we worked for the next kind of 12 months at addressing those. We brought in a new partner at Rattlesnake and we're going to talk to you about that in terms of where that business is going down in in the US. And we brought in a whole portfolio of a much more advanced asset in Timmins and, and really reset the plate for us. And, and I really think we've moved back up that. Um, we traded flat for about 12 months and now we broke that resistance and we're back up in the 20 cent range right now. So yeah, on a 12 or 18 month chart, we might look where we were down. Uh, I'm always an optimist. So I look at it on a 12 month chart or eight month chart and we're going back up and we've set a good floor in the stock. I mean, was that a case of naivety 18 months ago um, you didn't know what you didn't know, or 
did you understand there was a few pieces missing to the story and you would need to, um, I guess, change, change the narrative and bolt a few things onto the, the product, as it were? Uh, you know, I think, look, exploration is a risk business and you have a choice to put your capital um, at, at work in, in a certain place and management chooses to allocate that to the best return of their shareholders, hopefully. And we brought Newcrest in as partner and Newcrest is round, fabulous team. They find world-class ore bodies and they were drilling deep porphyry targets in the US. That was the right partnership at the right time for us. They didn't find it, they turned it back. That, that's part of the business. In Timmins, we drilled 80, uh, 78 grams over eight and a half meters. Fabulous hole, 500 grams per ton and a bunch of sort of lower grade material around it. Um, nice looking vein system. So we had two good drivers. We drilled around that high grade hole. We couldn't chase it. We found veins. We didn't find uh, as high a grade. In a sense, that became a high grade hit that didn't have enough continuity. So I wouldn't say it's naivety. It's part of the exploration business. Uh, what I think is really key is looking at how management responds to those challenges and how it impacts their strategy. Always, always is how you respond. I um, just want to stick on that point a bit because I think it'd be helpful for people listening to this and to appreciate um, that kind of scenario that you had with Newcrest, right? I think quite often when companies come on here and go, oh, Rio stepped in with a $2 million commitment or BHP is um, stepped in with a $5 million commitment over the next five years. Or, and you kind of get these sort of strategic um, partnerships with mid-tiers uh, or majors, and it sounds like, well, let's let's march straight down to the bank right now because we, we've made it. How often do those work out? Because the, the, the majors and the majors are looking for a different size of price from, say, an, a, a junior explorer. So what was your expectation when they walked in? And when, as a, let's say, would you ever put a percentage on it? I'm trying to help people retail, trying to interpret those sorts of headlines when they see them elsewhere. Yeah, in the end, you know, as a technical explorer, I look at that a probability basis. It's a long shot for Newcrest to find a, a 10 plus million ounce system on Rattlesnake. So yeah, they had the option to earn 75% and probability was working against you. That being said, they're still willing to put their capital to work and it was a good deal for us. So you have this initial period of, of pretty high risk, um, even when a major comes in. And the challenge often with these deals too is, um, you have a major, so you're not you're not in control. So even if there is success, um, you can be diluted. You can they can wait you out. Um, you can have a capital call and be struggling. So it's a good deal um, for many companies. Uh, I think you have to be aware still of probability working against you of finding a sizable ore body. In the end, we hit porphyry at depth. We hit good gold grades. Now they weren't of Newcrest size magnitude. So they turned it back to us. And the problem is, is that the market sees it as a real knock on the asset when it's not a 10 million ounce system. Well, okay, but it doesn't mean it's not valuable. And these are the things, right? So it's still maybe worth two, five, eight million dollars, um, still maybe 20 or $50 million. It's just not a new crest size system. So that's how I view these um, in terms of partnerships with majors. Yes, it's interesting. It's an, I think the, there's a euphoria and evaluation which is attributed to you with a, in, in, as you've said, your own words, you know, it, it, it's still high risk, right? And, and lots of things that ways it could go wrong. But then when it's handed back, there's the knock on effect is, is more significantly uh, felt, despite the fact that they've spent some money on it, given you some data, which you wouldn't have. Um, being able to afford yourself, and then you can you can choose how to go ahead. I I just think it's a really interesting dynamic when 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 that kind of well, I mean, the other out. part of this is that when they turned it back to us was that 
the, the, the cliff coming off is so sharp and you're like, you know, it's not really fair to completely disregard this asset. We've managed to find and, and still generate solid value out of it, but you've disappointed a basket of shareholders. And, um, you know, you've just got to work through that. You've got to be transparent with your shareholders and transparent to me means shareholders have to believe in management to make the right strategy moving out of those. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Stan, and we've seen, we've seen a few instances where they've, the companies have gone on to make a sort of two, three million ounce discovery, uh, themselves, which may not be major at mid-tier territory, but it's certainly good enough for a junior. Um, look, th- look, thanks for that. I think it was a more broad conversation, which I think is, is worth people sort of trying to understand the, the moving parts for. Let's talk about some of the things that you have done over the last 18 months, okay? So share price moved sideways, okay? We'll, we'll say it's moved sideways, and okay, it's coming back a little bit this year, but moved sideways in the last 18 months. So some of the things that you've done is you've got a strategic in on on rattlesnake uh, health. Great. Um, maybe we should start. Maybe we should start there. Actually, should we say what, what, what's been going on down there? Because you're not you're not in control of that really. Your 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 partner is. So so when we looked at rattlesnake as a path, and it's got a, a history of being explored as a as a deep bleachable open pit style system. It's got a, all the way back to 08, 09, 010. Um, Ultimately, what's there is a modest size heat bleachable resource. Uh, that's not a 43-101, but there's 110,000, 100,000 meters of drilling in it. Um, so there's a couple of deposits there. It doesn't quite reach critical mass for heat bleach, but we had a really interesting inbound for us. And we had a group, private company, a US-based, say, we want to look at in-situ mining. We want to look at in-situ mining for gold. And this asset's the right asset for us to look at, develop, and um, really bring in-situ technology to the industry. So we brought in a private company called G11, Group 11 Technologies. Uh, It's under an option deal. They are the operator. Um, They are owned by uh, two, largely by two parent companies. One of those is an in-situ uranium developer called Encore Energy. The other one is Environmentals, which is contributing uh, a proprietary leach technology that can replace cyanide. And when you pair those together, there's the potential to bring in-situ mining to gold. And Wyoming has a large population of in-situ assets in the uranium space. So it's an exciting partnership. In-situ mining for gold could truly change the industry. Still early stage. Well, that's that, that's what I want to talk about because we, we've seen um, companies try this with copper. I think Excelsior Mining hasn't kind of turned out the way that they, they had hyped in terms of uh, the recoveries and ISR is a, 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 a skill in itself, and I understand obviously fifty percent of uranium is recovered that way. But gold, copper for ISR, I mean, can it really work? You know, it can. Um, when we looked at this technology, I walked away saying, I believe there will be in situ mining for gold in the not that distant future. Now it will become, I believe, a path and a and a really uh, deposit scale criteria to define the success, not permitting or availability of, of our cyanide replacement technology, because I think that's there already. So <clears throat> when you look at Rattlesnake, what it offers up is a drilled off deposit with metallurgy that is oxidized in a system that was actually has reasonable permeability. And so, yeah, Excelsior hasn't been a success. Seco mines have been. Um, the uranium side has been a success. I think what you have to take out of those is new R&D bringing a new technology. It takes time. It probably takes failure um, to work out the bugs, particularly in something 
um, that has relatively complex chemistries like in situ copper, in situ uranium, or in situ gold. The good thing is the guys that we're working with on core energy went through this in the uranium space. They're taking all their expertise of what the year learned from that, and they're bringing it to Rattlesnake Hills to say, what can go wrong? How do we want to test the rock? How do we build the case? So if, if, if I may, 30 million market cap, I mean, how, given what you went through with Newcrest, right? How much do you think the market is valuing that project? Because clearly it's gold. You've said yourself, it, it kind of doesn't quite make it in, in a heat bleach context, but ISR could be the solution because it's it's certainly for uranium, one of the, 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 a very cheap uh, means of processing and, re and recovering, so of, of, of recovery. Um, but, and we, and we saw the press release, um, you know, out a few days ago um, with regards to the recoveries here. 48% and, and up to 61% uh, in, in some cases on, on, on the bottle roll testing and stuff. Is, is it, is it going to be good enough um, in terms of the, the recoveries that you're saying? It does work, but, you know, it, that covers a big range, right? So it works. We recover some gold. Great. Can, will it be economic? Um, will it be scalable? I mean, what, what, what do you know at the moment? What's your, what are your hopes at the moment in terms of what Group 11 is able to do? You know, in all honesty, Matt, it's, just, it's too early to make some of those projections on, you know, capital costs, pure economics. What, what I can say at this stage is that we went in with the threshold to say what would be positive results or not. And if we saw, and this is we being G11 plus uh, GFG, greater than 30% recovers. We thought that was a success at this early stage. Now, um, there's a few reasons for that. Obviously, the capital and operating hurdles will be far lower than a heat bleach or a conventional mine. You know, and, and when you look at this slide, and we know um, then our data set also was a full spectrum, all the way from sulfides right through the block side in terms of the MET system. So if you took what I believe is the most likely material to work with in situ, it would be the oxide hosted gold. And if you look at that basket of samples that were done, the average recoveries were in the sort of mid 60s on the whole core immersion. That to me was a really important data set. The bottle rules are what they are. The bottle rules on crushed material. So it's not a good proxy for in situ. Take the whole core, dump it in the solution, say, what do you get without crushing it? And that stuff averaged 65 by sticking a piece of core in the solution. That was exceptionally positive results. And if we can look at that portion of the data set and say, all right, well, maybe there's 600,000 ounces of oxides there. And that's just a conceptual. Uh, and maybe you've got a grade profile that's 0.5 or 0.6, and you get something where you can start seeing that portion of it recoverable. Um, that starts being very positive. Now, there's a lot more test work. We need large diameter holes. We need to understand the details of the system whether it's the hydrology, whether it's geotechnical, whether it's the permeability, whether it's the oxide sulfide phases, all these things have to be understood. But at this stage, very, very encouraging results. And our partners, G11, um, are advancing on further in situ testing. And ultimately what they need to do is get large diameter core drilling, more testing, and advance towards something that would be an in situ test. Um, the first in situ test for gold mining, and that would be the logical next step after the large diameter drilling. Yeah, I, I think it'd be interesting because again, I guess lessons learned on Excelsior. I mean, they they, they struggled moving from the kind of conceptual lab uh, environment to actual you know pilot plant. The, the numbers dramatically fell off for for them. Um, 
So it'd be intriguing to see how G11 goes forward. They say, um, how are they financed? Because I think when we spoke to Encore previously, they said that, that this would not be a drain on the Encore shareholders or, or, or capital. Yeah, I mean, Encore owns 40% yeah. pre the last financing we did. Environmental owns 40% pre the last financing. There was about 10% dilution in that. So Got it. probably still 35 to 38%. They raised about $1.3, $1.2 million when they did the deal with us. They had half a million in it. So, you know, in terms of their balance sheet, um, I, I think they're okay right now to get all the way to do a five spot. I don't think they have, they would probably have to capitalize themselves and I'm not an expert on their finances. Um, I think proceeding all the way through to this stage where they are right now, potentially even the large diameter, um, they're reasonably well financed. You have to look at it and say, we're not drilling off a deposit. We're drilling a couple holes. And so the capital intensity of what they're trying to do is pretty light. Right. Okay. I guess it's a watching brief, and I, and I suspect, given the number of questions sent in about it in relation to Project Up in Timmins, um, people aren't attributing so much value to it. So it was a good thing. If it doesn't kind of work out, it's a good thing, but hopefully it does work out because uh, it'd be a great technology to, yeah. to bring to bear. I, I never did answer your question on that about how people weight the two assets. Yeah. And, and you know, there's a, there's a lot of different ways to view that. We get lots of calls mm. on G11, and so I know it's in front of mind for a certain number of investors. Um, if I looked at the balance of our shareholder base, you know, it's still a minority of people that would invest in us because of Rattlesnake, um, but it is a material portion of us. And uh, so I, I like to think that people might allocate maybe a 30% or something um, into the U.S. asset and maybe a 70% into the Canadian portfolio. So, Just in terms of weighting a value. So the market is giving you $20 million for what you've got going on up in Timmins. Uh we, we better we better rush up north then and start start talking yeah. about what, what what's happening up there because um, you know again in in case of, you know what has happened in the last eighteen months when you look at our path in Timmins um, Timmins is a fabulous build uh, I believe there will be material tier one discoveries there and that's why we went there and I think it's still to be found relatively near surface because of the degree of cover so we went there. Eight, you know, a couple of years back and we bought these really earlier stage assets, Pan and Dory, and we worked those for a couple of years and we had some really interesting hits. Ultimately, those are still in our portfolio. We're still moving them ahead of Greenfield, but we realized in terms of our strategy, we needed to pair it with something that was more advanced. Uh, Q2, Q3, we were busy working last year, looking at the portfolio in Timmins. Uh, we had actually bid on a couple other assets where we were second place, not good enough to win it. Um, and then we found this other one quite interesting, Montclair. And we added Montclair, we added a large land position, uh, we did another deal in there, and we put together 30 kilometers with a much more advanced asset on it. Uh, one that we felt um, we could step into, really add value and start moving it towards a resource. So um, Timmins has been a real exciting pivot for us in the last uh, kind of six to 12 months. And the drill results, what we've been seeing so far, really strong. Okay, so again, it might be worth kind of getting rid of some of the outlier components again. So, um, um, the, so are you pronouncing it Dore or Dore Gold? Dore. Dore, okay, as in. Right. Um, you're, it says you're reviewing strategic options. What, what's that mean to you? It means, one, you're not spending too much time on it but or money, but are you looking to offload that? Is that, a, is that meaning? Will that be meaningful? Look at Dore. Dore is an, uh, it sits between literally we are sandwiched between Newcrest, Newmont, and I am Gold. And you got Cote on one side of us, and you've got Borden on the other side of us. So it is a strategic land position, and you got large scale systems around you. 
That being said, it's still very early stage. We made a play, GFG, to grow that land position back about 12 months ago. Um, Newcrest ended up with one of the blocks we really looked at and, and liked. So we now have Newcrest right beside us. Um, good neighbors to have. They're not usually uh, looking for small systems, as we know. Um, in the end, we didn't uh, grow that land position. It's about 200 square kilometers. I think logically, it fits better with somebody that's exploring around us or in, in, a, in a different vehicle. Um, so right now, in terms of strategic options, in dialogue with groups looking for the right path for Dory. Okay, so not not taking up too much time, not taking up any money. It may have some value, but at a at a timeline to suit whoever it is that a Newcrest or an IM Gold, whoever you're talking to. Um, so no no imminent cash that you can in, into the company modest. which you can utilize elsewhere. Yeah, mod, I think the modest it would be more option style. Yeah, yeah. Ask. Right. Okay. Perfect. Uh, and then Pen Gold as well. Again, a sort of, sort of slightly back. What did you say? Doing your son sonic drill programs? Pen, Pen is a big block. So yeah. Pen is itself is about a sixty kilometer block. Um, I like Pen. Pen yeah. is is a really great opportunity to find a couple mines. There is very very few land positions like it in the Abitibi. Truly, an entire greenstone belt that we've put together. We have coverage of till geochemistry across it. Uh, the market doesn't care about that, but that's how you can find new mines. Um, Why, what, what do you mean? Explain that for people who might like to get a bit technical here. If you understand um, the area in Timmins, it's all under all covered with till. And in the end, the outcrop distribution is very small. Um, so you have to look at your exploration philosophy and methodology and find a good filter. Filter meaning how can we assess tens of square kilometers with a few samples? Till is one of those mechanisms. So when we put the belt together, we felt that this was a good technique. We found new gold systems using it. We we're still applying it um, to that. We've had economic hits, but I'm not saying that anything there that we found yet is moving to a resource. Still early stage in terms of our work. And when we look at it, the strategy for Penn, I truly still believe there's a good probability to find something interesting there. We just have to be cognizant to take it as a pay, at a pace that's reasonable and pair it with something that is a little more advanced in terms of a project. So we will keep exploring Penn. Could we look for a partner for it? Do we have interest in a partner for it? For sure. Um, so that path is still um, yet to be determined. We have budget allocated to this year at about a million dollars and um, we won't be drilling on it. We're building the targets. We're building the regional land position in terms of understanding further on it, um, but it's not where the core of our dollars are going. Okay, well, let's get on to where the dollars are going because you, you what what's the what's the total cash position available to you? You've got one million on pen. What, what, what's how much is the rest? Uh, in terms of the other allocation into Montclair, yeah, uh, the budget this year is about two million. So if you looked at total dollars to be spent in the ground this year, it's about three three point two million dollars. Okay, and you need to be efficient, um, right? You're going to need to be super efficient with that to because. You, I was impressed by the team. I'm impressed by the way you go about it. You're right. It's, it's a mid-tier mid management team, but on, on a junior. But the rules are different down at the junior space in the sense that you also need to kind of feed the market and give them what they want, unless you think that you can uh, sustain yourselves with the cash that you've got to a point where you decide um, you found something interesting, maybe for a Newcrest, mm -hmm. maybe for an IM Gold or whoever. But in the meantime, yeah. the market's looking for, yeah, high-grade headlines. They're looking for big, big movements, something that they can get excited about. So how do you get that balance between, I'm going to spend two million bucks at Montclair, uh, I'm going to spend a million at Penn to give us 
the right stuff ge geologically, but it may not be the right stuff for the market. Look, it's bang, bang for your buck. And ultimately what really matters, how many ounces can you add per dollar? And are those quality ounces? And if they are quality ounces, is somebody gonna buy them, pay you for them? So when we look at what we brought into the portfolio, we went out east to Timmins. There's literally four mills within 25 kilometers of us. Uh, you can look at Newmont, you can look at Pan American, you can look at Black Flocks, and you can look at Agnico Eagle. There's four mills within 25 kilometers of that land position. And we're drilling economic hits at 100 meters depth. So when you look at, I look at capital allocation, I want to see bang for your buck per dollar per meter of hole. Can we add 10, 20, 50, 100,000 ounces with a couple million bucks? And um, I think when you start with the right project and you start publishing 40, 50, 100, 120 gram meter products at economic grades, at shallow depths, those are real value building exercises. And that's how you can really anchor a valuation of a company and decrease your cost of capital to still work on the greenfield stuff in the background, which we are at Penn, but you logically have to pair it with something that can create more momentum and is a higher value return. Absolutely. So return on capital employed is is, is, a, is a big metric, but more simply than that, you've got, as I say, you, you've got to maybe pair it. Maybe we should talk about what that means to you because it's got to be the right type of answers in, in the right place. And it's got to be a joined up picture of, for you, you know, because at, at this stage you're you're trying to work out what it is that what you've that you've got, but eventually you're gonna have to work out well, how does this thing work as a as a mine, right? Because there's lots mm -hmm. of mills in the district. I guess that saves you some headache. But how how do you go about piecing that that story together from where you are now to um, you know reach the next stage and the next step and the next financing? And what what, yeah. what are your considerations? You know, you know, to me, I start with it and say characteristics of the system, um, infrastructure, kind of logistics and setting, and then scale. Do we have the land to be able to grow it? Do we like the characteristics of the system? Is it of the profile and the depth can potentially reach the economics? And if you are, is it located in a reasonable spot? And so when we looked at Montclair, we were like, look, this asset has a hundred holes into it. Um, most of those from the 40s and 60s, but they outlined the system over about a kilometer. So we immediately said, this system has scale. And then you look at the data and you're like, okay, well, this system's really shallow and it hasn't really been drilled very much in terms of understanding it. And where it was drilled, it wasn't sampled properly because it was drilled in the 40s or the 60s. So now we've stepped up, <clears throat> we're drilling it um, much more densely. We're looking at both high grade underground and bulk tonnage potential. And I think that's where you start creating quality ounces. Can you show the continuity? So the release we put out this morning um, starts to step out. We had a high grade hole published back in January, um, 25, uh, 26 meters at 4.8 grams. Um, best hit ever drilled on the property. An economic intercept at 75 meters depth. Um, <clears throat> we stepped out on it in the release we put out today. We still had eight over eight. Now, if I look at anything greater than like a, a 30, a 40, I'm talking gram meter products, those are economic hits, particularly if they're shallow. And when you're seeing six, seven, eight grams, that's well above camp grades. Timmins works at three or four grams underground. That's the average grade of many underground mines. So we're seeing good grades, we're seeing shallow depths, and we're putting the continuity picture together. 
Okay, so uh, that, that's that's really interesting because we've done a few pieces where we talk about you know underground um, needs to be four grams and above in, in in Canada, but because you're saying because the depths involved here that three grams could work too for you, you believe? When you look at what uh, something like Timmins West um, with uh, formerly Lakeshore, you know that that's an a mine that's running at kind of three three and a half grams. Um, you know, lots of mines in Timmins uh, would be running at four four to five grams. Um, yes, certain very high grades. You can run to Kirkland, you can go into Red Lake, and you'll be getting 10, 15, 20 grams. The average grade in Timmins is like a four or five gram war body. That's what has made 75 million ounces, which is the most productive camp in Canada. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I, well, I, I look forward to us having that conversation further down, down the line. Um, so can we, just, can we just talk about the kind of corporate structure here? Because, you know, you've, you've got some pretty hefty uh, management and and board members on board. You've also got some not bad shareholders. I mean, how how have you traded out uh, some some of the earlier investors in this? And certainly in terms of on the retail side, because what did you see when say G eleven came in versus mm. obviously some of the results more recently um, up up in Timmins? Are you starting to see a different type of investor get involved here and are the original um, you know? We, we have a, a really core following of institutions that I would say have uh, followed us since Claude and, and from Claude even into GFG. And those have always backed us. And guys like US Global and Delbrook and these institutions that play the space, they're long-term holders, they trust management, they believe in management, and they have a thesis around playing it. So that core would always be in there. We've had other investors that have came in and out. And if I had to say any sort of theme, we have moved more retail over the last, I would say, 12 to 18 months, and it's driven largely by this G11 um, in-situ angle and the way we're trying to market it and bring it in, and it's a reflection of the space overall. We know that institutional capital has moved up cap. Um, we know that there's a window within the retail space to bring more eyes to the commodity space, and we've pushed that marketing over the last 12 months, and I think we've been successful at engaging a fairly strong retail component um, our biggest uh, individual shareholders out of uh, U.S., out of Wisconsin, he would own about 7 million shares. <clears throat> His cost base is far below anybody, any institution. He's bought it all in the market. And uh, so we have a few guys like that. Um, I would own about 6 million shares. Um, you know, we also have <clears throat> Lundin family backing us, uh, Zebra Funds out of Geneva. So I think there's a good balance here. Um, Alamos owns just under 9% of the company. So we've got corporates strong institutions, families that have been in the resource forever, and a good, strong retail component too. Okay, yeah, and um, and, and, so, and with, the, with the fundraise um, back in whenever it was November or so, was that flow through or was that hard? When we looked at that breakdown, yeah. uh, there was 3.1 million raised. Uh, it was about 2.1 of flow gotcha. um, okay. and about one of hard. But when we look at our flow through, we're really cognizant of trying to find long-term shareholders. So. We did out about a million dollars, 1.1, a charity flow through, very strong premium. The back end of that was sold to either high net worth or institutions. We did some traditional flow through. Uh, we didn't put any flow through funds in ourselves. Um, this would be high net worth guys that are longer term shareholders. So very cognizant to trying to bring the right shareholders in to this base. Okay, interesting. interesting. Um, Brian, look, I, I think we'll wrap it up there. I just wanted to go see where, where your head was at really and so what, you know, where... You know how you felt about the last eighteen months, and also you know, you know if you've got the energy to kind of move this thing forward, and if you're you're seeing the things that you expected to see when you when you uh, joined. Um, c 
could you come on and give us a sort of technical breakdown, maybe speak with one of our geos and sort of get, get into the weeds a little bit about how you're approaching um, the, the drilling and, and, and the modeling. Um, that would be fascinating. Yeah, no, look, I mean, that uh, that approach to it is is, is always um, very granular in, in how you do it. And, and it's a mixture of short range, long term step outs. <clears throat> There's a lot of thought and methodology into it. Um, and, and ultimately, that's what defines our success longer term is is your expert manager, is your project geologist, your VPX, you know, I'm a geologist themselves, designing the program, understanding the data layers and saying, how are we blending corporate strategy with on the ground execution of growing this towards a, a resource and understanding what its controls are. So yeah, happy to give you a little more detail at some time. That would be much appreciated. Thank you very much. And Brian, thank you very much for today. Good to see you again. Yep. Thanks very much, Matt. Always great to be with you guys.